Welcome back to another episode of Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor. Thank you once again for tuning in. Hope you're not catching cabin fever if you are stuck at home. And generally speaking, hope that you're all staying healthy and safe. If you're new to this community, welcome. This is a show all about how some of the most interesting or innovative brands out there are mobilizing their masses to become more authentic. And authentic messages surely have no more importance than they do right now. Today, I'm on with Wells Fargo, and I'm talking with their CMO, Jamie Moldavsky. Now, Jamie has incredible experience with Wells. She's been there about 15 years and has seen the business through a number of crises, in particular three, including the coronavirus crisis of today. She was also with the brand during the financial crisis of 0708, as well as an account scandal that hit the brand about five years ago. So when it comes to building trust and building authentic relationships with consumers, Jamie has had a tall task for a long time and has been able to weather the storm in each of them. So I considered it a real privilege to be able to talk with her today because, frankly, I don't know if there are that many CMOs out there who have had the opportunity to lead a brand through a storm that many times. I genuinely think it is a privilege, and I tell her so. But generally on today's show, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about her journey into marketing. We talk about some of the key turning points in the trajectory to get to today. We talk about some of the things that she learned through each of those three crises as part of Wells. And we also talk about some of the ways in which they are doing good, as well as serving as the eyes and ears for consumers, while in some ways letting the consumer serve as their mouthpiece. All that as well as the perennial advice about how to become more authentic as a marketer today. As I said, I think Jamie's got more experience here than most. So it was a real gift to be able to talk to her, and it's a gift that I'm able to give to you. And I'll step away to do it. So without further ado, this is today's interview from Wells Fargo, Jamie Moldavsky. All right, everybody, I'm back here again, this time with Jamie Moldavsky from Wells Fargo. Jamie, thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you doing? I am doing great, and thank you for having me. And with everybody working from their homes and working remotely, it's great to have an opportunity to connect. So thanks for having me today. It's lucky that a lot of these are done virtually even more so nowadays. And though it doesn't impact the normal flow of this show, I'm sure it impacts a heck of a lot else. But we'll talk a little bit about that during this show. I want to learn all about uh, how you're using consumer journeys and getting more authentic in that way. But let's start personally with you because you've been at Wells for a little while now, since 2005, which, you know, even between that 15-year tenure, but when you talk about starting as the CMO, I'm seeing here since 2011, that knocks the typical CMO tenure out of the water. I, I, I First of all, that's great. And secondly, I want to know what drew you to Wells. And maybe thirdly, I want to know if being a CMO was, was always on the table. I know you'd been in marketing for a long, long time, but I want to know more about the journey to this point. Yeah, happy to share. So I wouldn't say being a CMO is ever really explicitly on the table. I think that I've always worked for companies that were very customer focused. So I started my career with American Express. I had some time at Charles Schwab and then uh, ran KitchenAid as a general manager for Whirlpool Corporation and always tried to work for companies that had really strong value propositions for customers, were customer focused. And I loved the idea of being able to influence the product, the pricing, the marketing, the communications uh, for those customers. And so I always had a passion around the creativity and the opportunity to engage with customers around something that would be a benefit and service to them. 
And so it took me through a little windy bit of a career where I went back and forth between a business manager or general manager and a marketing person. And when I came to Wells Fargo, it was actually initially to do marketing. And then I ended up in a role where I was driving uh, most of the business side of our home equity and some of our lending businesses. And then, as you said, about almost nine years ago now, I uh, was offered the opportunity to become CMO here. And so it was a great fulfillment, I'd say, of all of my ambitions, which was to, at a great scale, take a great brand and continue to make it more and more personalized and customer focused. And the reason I was sort of attracted to Wells Fargo is that I'd worked for great companies like American Express and Whirlpool and banking always was sort of tainted with this. It's not really a customer focused business. And I didn't believe that. And so I joined a company that I felt at its core had a customer DNA in it, but that hadn't really realized the full potential of the opportunity to deliver great experiences, to engage customers, and to really truly be customer focused in the way um, that I believed it could be. And that's the work I've been on for the last eight to nine years. So it's been very fulfilling and exciting. I wouldn't say I started out necessarily exactly on that path. But it's been a very successful time since you've begun. And I, I got to ask about, uh, or I want to ask about certain points that you think really defined your time there, or perhaps times before that. And the reason why I want to do that is because I know that Wells Fargo has done this itself, um, specifically with different content partnerships. I know that you all did something on the B2B side called Moments of Truth, where you were talking with folks about key moments in their growth trajectories. And while that may have been business-centric, I want to get Jamie-centric for a moment and see if you can recount any specific moments or decisions that you think you made during your career to, to sort of really launch you towards the, the upper echelon of of where you are today, because people who listen to this show love hearing those kinds of things because ideally they'd like to emulate someone like you. And I'm just curious what some of those might be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll just highlight a couple of areas because I think there's a couple opportunities. Um, and I always tell people when I talk to folks that you have to take risks and you have to do things that may not be linear, linearly where you think leads you into a CMO job, but just enables you to be a much stronger leader. And so the first one I'd say is when I was with American Express, I took a, a set of international assignments and was in Singapore and Hong Kong for three years. And clearly, um, when you move into a foreign market, one of the first things you realize is you don't understand who those customers are. And so what was a great experience for me was both having to learn a new culture and understand what was relevant or not relevant in another marketplace, and as well as leading how to lead a group of diverse team members, right, or diverse employees. So for me, that was both a personal leadership challenge as well as a professional leadership challenge uh, that brought me skills that were then replicable later in my career. Um, I'd say a second one was when I decided to become the general manager of KitchenAid. So never been in manufacturing, never really been in a, a product um, organization quite like that. It's an engineering-driven organization, obviously manufacturing-driven but I was brought in to bring marketing and customer expertise to a, a white label manufacturer. And again, what was great about that is one is that I learned a lot about how you market products and services with long lead times of development, uh, which was very different than financial services, uh, but also learned to work in an organization that was entirely driven by Six Sigma and uh, data-driven and technology-driven um, not a lot around kind of the creative side or even, I'd say, direct-to-consumer. It was much more of a, of a B2B model. And so, again, learned a lot about how to operate in a different environment and lead in a different environment that came to fruition when I came to Wells Fargo. 
Uh, and then I'd say the, the third kind of piece of that was when I became the CMO. And I had never, unlike a lot of CMOs, I had never really been a brand marketer. I had always been a business marketer. And I had the nice opportunity to come into the company when the brand was really strong. And a lot of the effort was about connecting emotionally with our customers and had the opportunity to do that work. And then our sales practice crisis, right, happened, which, um, again, of our own doing um, about five years ago. And right. that really put me into a very different position. And so from each of those, you learn a lot about both the skills as well as the leadership. What do you think was the biggest thing that you, now that you mentioned that, I, I would be remiss not to, I was thinking about that as sort of as I talk about how you push your team to be authentic with consumers today. But looking back on that now, five years past, what do you think the biggest thing that you learned about that as a marketer was? Because I'm sure that uh, the entire tone had to shift virtually overnight. And as somebody who led the business through that position, what did you learn the most from it? Yeah, humility. Humility on so many levels, right? Humility as a leader, humility as a marketer, uh, humility as a brand, I think. It, and I would tell you, I don't think we learned it all perfectly. I think there were a lot of uh, stops and starts along the way. It's a really hard lesson. And if you watch companies in crisis, including right now, by the way, um, how companies react in crisis really defines their recovery. And I, and I couldn't stress enough that right now, in every interaction people are having with their customers, every marketer has an opportunity to either help that company emerge successfully or not. Uh, because I, and I'm sure you're like me, which is you're getting lots of emails right now and your social media feed is overflowing. And some of them you look at and say, what is this? Like, who are these people? Like, do they really think I want this right now? Mm -hmm. And others are, wow, that's an incredible message of empathy. I, that, that company understands what's going on right now. And so I think um, my biggest learning was that humility of it's not about what we want to say. It's about what our customers need us to be and need to hear from us. And that ability to be humble and put your and in service to your customers was a really big awakening for me. When you're working for strong brands and strong companies and you have a great product and the world is great, you feel like you can kind of do and say anything. But when you have a comeuppance like we did, that ability to really stop and listen becomes so important. And I would say we will weather this crisis very differently because of what happened with us five years ago. I think that that's uh, that that's right, and of course today, yeah, you're right. I mean, my email inbox is blown up, my LinkedIn is blown up, everything's blown up about folks who, and, and I, a lot of brands, I gotta say, take an attack of like this sympathy, empathy, and even then, I'm curious. I'm like, are you trying to butter me up right now so that you can target me later, or do you genuinely care about it? Which is, it's, and it's a tough line to read, but. I do think that, and you especially, uh, leading the helm at Wells, have seen a couple of situations, obviously not health pandemic level, but you've seen a few situations in which you have learned how to be authentic. And that's the next thing I want to ask about, because through your tenure, and, and granted some of this before CMO and some during, you have seen Wells through the financial crisis of 08, the account scandal from five years ago, and now this. What sort of principles are you instilling in your team, either on site or at home, today, to get them to mo to, to motivate them to to get to consumers authentically? What are what do you think are the values? And I know you mentioned humility, so let's assume that's table stakes. What are some of the other values that you are, are seeking to instill in, in in maybe your close circle or maybe your marketing team, the hundreds of thousands of people at Wells broadly, um, to to connect truly authentically? Yeah. I mean, I think one is, and, and we bear this responsibility in the marketing function, 
is to truly hold up a mirror to what our customers want and need from us. So it's very easy in a crisis for the company to respond the way the company wants to respond or needs to respond. But our job as marketers is to say, this is actually what the customer is telling us. So to your point, we are feeding social media data, complaint and customer service data, um, third-party data where we have it, you know, anecdotal data from our relationship managers. And we're feeding that back to our senior most leaders and saying, this is what people are telling us they need to hear from us. Because that's what matters right now, right? Is that level of transparency and authenticity to respond directly to a customer, including if we don't have the answer yet. So real time, the government has announced a new stimulus package. We don't have the details yet. And yet thousands of customers are coming to us saying, how do I do it? How do I get it? What do I do? We have to have the confidence to put a message out that says we are actively working on defining what this experience will be for you to make it easy. We don't know exactly what that's going to be yet, but we will, you will be the first people we tell. And that doesn't always feel good, right? Because to admit you don't have an answer or to start out with something, but that's, um, I think, an incredibly important message I give to my, my team and to the company at large, which is don't shy away, answer the question, lean in, talk to our customers, engage, give them the information they're looking for, be honest and authentic if we don't have it yet, right? Um, and listen. And so we have to provide the vehicle to listen because it's very hard in a vacuum, especially as you said, when people are working from home and their normal modes of interacting with clients and customers aren't, don't exist anymore, us being able to be the ears and eyes for them uh, becomes even more important. Absolutely. I, I, and thinking about this crisis, of course, is, is one thing. I, I want to step back for it for a second before diving back into it, of course, because you mentioned being the eyes and ears for your consumers is especially important right now. But I'm wondering some of the ways in which they might be your mouthpiece. Specifically, in this time, regardless of whether it's based in a, in a business initiative or otherwise, people are taking the personal recommendations of their peers, of their friends, of their family, probably more seriously than they normally would. And forget forget all the, you know, the... the fake news woes that people shout to the rafters and all that stuff. People are definitely taking, at least my position, they're taking personal recommendations advice more seriously than ever. Um, regardless of this pandemic, are there ways in which Wells is taking the, the, the experience of being a customer and creating environments through which consumers can tell that story for each other? Because in a time like this, if you are serving as those eyes and ears and providing those answers. I'm sure it could be very influential to have your customers going and telling other people that same information. So my question, I guess, is how do you get, how do you entice your customers to be talking about their experiences with you? Or do you do that? And maybe not right now if it's sensitive time, but generally speaking, how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a combination, right? I think that we certainly encourage our customers, and there's, we do it through certainly a lot of the um, philanthropy work that we do as an example, where we're out in the marketplace and we create venues and opportunities for our customers and our employees, by the way, to participate with us. And a lot through social media, so whether it's Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn, right, that we, in, we obviously encourage both our employees as well as our customers to share with us. Um, I think the other thing is we try to be sure that we are extremely responsive and as much as possible that we respond um, to broader sets of populations. So we, yeah, as you would imagine, right, Wells Fargo, we get, we have 
you know, one out of three households that we serve, and that's 70 million customers. And so we get a lot of feedback. We get good feedback and bad feedback. What we know is that during our crisis, like before this even, that our customers mostly stuck with us. And that was because they said, you know, my experience with Wells Fargo isn't that you have been abusive or cheated me or anything else. My experience has always been very positive. And so we have absolutely encouraged people to share that. But, you know, we are a little humble in that way. So we don't ask for it that explicitly. You know, we have had some interesting experiences. I'll just share one, which is we do a holiday food bank campaign where we um, actively work with partners and Feeding America and networks and a lot of media companies to bring to life the fact that we turn our branches actually into food banks. And it's our third year that we've completed doing it. And what we have found is influencers have come to us and said, we want to work with you because the way in which you have so authentically committed yourself to doing something good resonates with my values. And to me, that's like the highest praise when, when customers and partners and influencers come to us to tell our story or to amplify our story, that's the greatest, that's the greatest feedback. And so we do see that not always 100% around everything we do, but we absolutely create those forums to enable that to um, amplify. Definitely. And I can see uh, that that's a, obviously a great cause. And folks, if, if you want to learn more about what Feeding America does, you can always check out the podcast episode that we did with Kathy, Kathy Davis, their CMO, just last year. Oh, great. Um, yeah, we love Kathy, actually. Um, and she was one of the first interviews we had. Um, so that's let, great. Yeah. Uh, let's talk for a second then about the personal relationships that you're building, because as, as you've said, you got millions and millions and millions of them, one out of every three households. These days, how do you think an organization, especially in these times, it can be building one-to-one relationships with consumers? I mean, how does, how does, and I'm sure tech fits into that, maybe AI fits into that, although, I don't know, I feel like AI and building something that's truly one-to-one sort of great against each other, but what, I wonder if you have perspective here about how, how businesses can be developing true one-to-one relationships. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, I think there's both pros and cons of sort of viewing it all as mobile or digital enabled only. I think that what we're experiencing right now has given both incredible um, potential to the mobile and social world, and yet also has re- reignited, if you will, the need for people to connect by phone and in person. And so what we see is the number of people trying to talk to us, wanting to talk to us, like physically to a human being, is incredible. And even if you give them an avenue that is an online vehicle, they want to actually talk to somebody because they want to feel comforted. And so what I would tell you is I really believe that one-to-one has to be thought of in a lot of different um, contextual environments, as well as across all the different channels. And so we're very lucky as a company because we have so many channels. Um, I always tell the story because people think it's so funny, but it's true, which is our ATM, which is probably as much of an impersonal channel as you can imagine, sure. is very personalized. So when you come onto an ATM, it asks you, it remembers you, it asks you how much you want to withdraw based on what we know about you. And then... Our ATMs wish you a happy birthday. If we know it's your birthday, we wish you a happy birthday. And people have told us that it is so exciting and motivating to have a company know them in that way. Now, that's not knowing you deeply and profoundly, but that's just acknowledging that we actually do know you. So to your point, while I think AI and machine learning is enabling us to be very sophisticated at scale about one-to-one, I think you don't want to lose sight of the humanity behind one-to-one. And what we try to talk about with my team and the organization is how do you capture the spirit of a human being? That's what people really want. And oftentimes that's delivered by a human being. Sometimes it's delivered by technology, but you don't want to ever 
like believe that technology can replace all of humanity. And I think what we're seeing in the marketplace now is this convergence of the humanity with obviously the technology and the data capability. Well, I, I, I've been interested in hearing all of this from you. And I guess the, la- the last thing, how I want to close this out is to ask for general advice now. I've had plenty of advice from you so far in this conversation. So if this gets repetitive, sorry, listeners, sorry, but we're going to do it again because the question is around advice about how to teach other marketers to become authentic in their messages. Now, the folks that listen to this show, they are either sole proprietors or they're all the way up to being in marketing divisions of Fortune 500 companies. Of course, we have a good deal of the CMO community listening in as well. And not everybody has, it's a weird thing to say, but not everybody has been I guess like privileged enough to learn through crisis as much. I, I, I'm not trying to figure out the right way to say it, but like you have weathered the storm a number of times and are doing so right now. That's a good thing, especially when it comes to teaching people how to be. And so I, I have to close out with this. I mean, what, what sort of advice would you give to others who may for better or worse, not have had those things happen, but still want to be developing that trusting and authentic relationship? How can they get started to do that? I would say, first and foremost, who do you want to be coming out of this? What do you want your customers to say about you six, eight, 10 weeks from now? So when someone talks to your customers 10 weeks from now and says, oh, what did your company do for them during this period of time? What does that look like? What does that sound like? Um, I think the second is also just be really clear about what your values are as a company and now more than ever double down on them. So you know, if your company is all about, you know, providing only only communicating when you have something really important to say, then don't communicate just to communicate, right? Make sure you're only doing it when you have really something important to say. So be clear about your values. Um, think about what you want, how you want your customers to think of you coming out of this. And the third would just be use every ounce of data that you have available at your fingertips include, um, to understand what your customers really want and need from you. Um, to really listen. And that includes asking anybody who will tell you, family, friends, friends of friends, uh, anything you can do right now to understand what people want to hear from you. Or if they don't, um, that's really valuable feedback. So that would be my uh, couple of thoughts. It's interesting how people think about retrospectives of their life. You know, how do you want to be remembered? This very much same can be applied to a brand right now. And so I'm glad that you pointed that out. And I have been privileged over the last roughly 20 minutes to hear uh, your insight, your expertise, and your advice. So I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. And, uh, you know, what else can I say? Jamie, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you so much to Jamie Moldavsky from Wells Fargo for joining the show today. It was really great hearing about everything that you've learned in your career, especially at Wells. And I do hope you continue to help consumers weather the storm of today, especially with all of the new stimulus information out there. If you learned a lot from this show, first off, I hope you continue to learn more. You stay subscribed and keep listening wherever you currently do on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever you do, keep on listening. But here's what you can also do. We're on LinkedIn, Authentic Influence Podcast. Give that a follow. It's where every new episode goes. It's also where other related information to the show goes. If we end up in the press somewhere, if we have a live event going on, of course, that won't happen for a couple months, but all of that information will be right there. Other than our website, podcast.favoom.co, it's sort of a content hub, and it's definitely somewhere where you can be connecting with us and asking questions. You can also connect with me personally, Adam Connor, on LinkedIn. I'll be happy to engage with you there. I'll be back again real soon with another fantastic story about how a brand is mobilizing its masses and becoming more authentic in that way. And until then, for Authentic Influence, I've been your host, Adam Connor, and you'll hear from me again next time.